From the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. There was a young man organizing the march named Bayard Rustin. Mm -hmm. And when Bayard called people, no, you did. There was no, you couldn't say no. Bayard was, uh, first he was Dr. King's lieutenant, but he had the capacity to organize uh, hundreds of thousands of people. And he, when he has a plan and a program, you know, he, he calls you and he tells you uh, how the whole thing depends on you. If, if you don't show up, you don't do what you're supposed to do. The whole thing is going to collapse and it's going to be blamed on you. Byatt reached out to me and to Ruby and just said, we need somebody to emcee the first part of the program in the March on Washington while the people are assembling. There needs to be entertainment and we need somebody to sort of keep it going. So Ruby, you and Arthi, you are selected. The late Ossie Davis. For seven decades, Davis led a distinguished career as an actor, writer, director, and producer. Along with his beloved wife, Ruby Dee, he was a renowned civil rights activist and an unforgettable figure in the African-American struggle for equality. In 1946, he began his acting career in Harlem. He made his film debut in 1950 in the Sidney Poitier film, No Way Out. David experienced many of the same struggles that most African-American actors of his generation underwent. He wanted to act but did not want to play stereotypical subservient roles such as Butler that were the standard for African-American actors of his generation. Instead, he tried to follow the example of Poor Jay and played more distinguished characters. When he found it necessary to play a Pullman Porter or a Butler, he tried to inject the role with a certain degree of dignity. In 1998, Davis and Ruby D published their dual autobiography, In This Life Together, in celebration of their 50th wedding anniversary. On February 4, 2005, David was found dead in Miami, where he was making a movie. I'm John L. Hansen, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, I see in Ruby, In This Life Together, In Black America. In the Hollywood entertainment industry syndrome, professional or an actor is looked on as a celebrity, as a commodity, and is taught yeah. to teach the public to worship himself or herself as an object of divine whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you begin to consider only yourself, if yourself is your only object, then all other things will begin to fall away from you. You have to learn in this business that yourself cannot be your only object. You have to say, myself and my wife and my children, those are the things that mean the most to me, and I don't care what fame does or celebrity does, that's where I will be going, and that's where I stake my claim. You have to be tough and say, I'm gonna make this marriage work, because uh, if, if I lose this one, the only thing I can do is get another, which will be just like it, so I might as well make this one work. Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee were one of the most revered couples of the American stage, two of the most prolific and fearless artists in American culture. As individual and as a team, they created profound and lasting work that has touched all of us. With courage and tenacity, they often broke new ground for African Americans and opened many a door previously shut tight to African American artists. 
This generation may recognize Davis and Dee for their appearances in several Spike Lee movies, including Malcolm X, in which Davis played himself, having delivered the eulogy for the slain civil rights leader. Born on December 18, 1917, in Cogsdale, Georgia, the oldest of five children, Davis grew up in Way Cross, Georgia. On December 9, 1948, Davis and Ruby D were married. In 1950, they made their film debut in No Way Out with Sidney Poitier and then starred together on Broadway in A Raisin in the Sun. In honoring this legendary couple and celebrating the birthday of Davis, In Black America presents this rebroadcast of a 1998 interview regarding the publication of their dual autobiography. And I finally persuaded Ozzy to, to write this book, <laughs> and uh, after 50 years later, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so we, we we finished that. William Morris is publishing it. we and uh, it chronicles our lives lives from before we. I mean, it's about our lives from before we met each other to when we met, and all all through uh, our time up until now. One, one seems to forget that all of us are human beings under our stardom or whatever our vocation. Was it difficult in going back and, and reliving those early years? Not 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 difficult in an emotional sense. Uh, it, sometimes it was that too. It was that but what what was difficult was that we found that we had different memories often of the same, same thing. Same the same thing, okay. And sometimes we couldn't reconcile our differences. So I wrote my version, Ruby wrote her version, made the best contestant emerge yeah. triumphant. And then sometimes it's conversation, sometimes it's, I mean, dialogue, mm-hmm. and then we, we take chapters. So it, the format kind of kind of varies, you know, like that. Like life does. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you all to, to put this work together? Two solid years. But I would, honestly, I suggest it wasn't solid because in between that we were working. One of us would be away, and thank God, Ossie's the writer in the family, so he kind of kept us on track. And we were working with a wonderful woman, you know, Sidney Mahone, whom I know as a dramaturg, and so and and uh, others were helping us with re- research. So that was we had and our children sometimes, especially my daughter Nora, helping us with the memories <laughs> when they were small, and so. It was um, so that helped a great deal, but so, so but I have to just I just had to quarrel a little bit with that word solid, and also those times when we we had some disagreements too about this and that. But we never came to blows. No, we never came to blows. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mr. Davis, are you still your own editor and censor? I am still my own editor and censor, but I found out that a lot of people have gotten into the act, so uh, it. <laughs> It's me and a whole board of directors telling me what to do. <laughs> Tell our audience how you all met in 1948. Well, now, let's talk Your about version. that a minute here. Your Ruby. version. Um, we were both involved in a play, a play called Jib. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met at the New Amsterdam Theater on 42nd Street in New York. Yes, that's that, where the Lion King is now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that first day at rehearsal. And uh, it didn't seem extraordinary to me at all. 
And uh, we... I came on board as an understudy, see? Yeah. And, uh, I, I, and I, I had seen his picture in the paper, but I hadn't met him. But I didn't even like his picture because I had wondered some other people I knew from the American Negro Theater, that's the theater, the community theater where I, I got into the business. I wanted one of, those, one of those guys to get the lead. So I was really very disappointed. And then when I saw him, I, it was even worse because I thought he looked so peculiar. <laughs> I was just... I mean, and his understudy and I used to sit in the auditorium and, and kind of talk about him, you know, mm-hmm. because he was this tall, skinny guy that looked like he looked like a, a some, this kind of a, with this big Adam's apple that went up and down when he talked, and he kind of like spilled along out of his and hung out of his clothes. The clothes were too, too, you know, it's like this tall, skinny guy wearing the clothes of this short, fat man. He <laughs> I mean, just, just looked strictly from. Poverty, but it didn't seem to be self-conscious about it or anything. I had my mojo going. But we agreed that he was a good actor, you know. <laughs> and that's how it all got started. You all have been very involved with the activism of this country. How has that paralleled you all's acting careers? Well, first let me say that we have been involved uh, in activism in our country, but to remember, activism has been involved with us. We were born black, and uh, when we married in 1948, I'm sorry, uh, being black was not a happy state of affairs mm-hmm. in this country. There were many places where people couldn't vote. People were still getting lynched. Uh, uh, soldiers returning from the war were being killed if they lined up uh, uh, to vote. So when we came into the theater, we were already in the midst of the struggle of our people for dignity and work and freedom. Uh, We had no option. There was no way of get out of being black, you know. Mm -hmm. So you had to get buckle down and struggle. And also our parents, I think about my mother walking picket lines on 125th Street. We, we went with her with the, if, uh, you know, picketing for jobs in the stores where we couldn't uh, where, where we couldn't work or could only go there and buy. We couldn't, the, we couldn't own stores on 125th Street. You know, I remember yeah. that kind of act, activity and, since I remember. And, and the poverty and the people being put out in the street. So we were kind of born, both of us, from different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I remember on two occasions when my father's life was threatened by the Ku Klux Klan. And on one occasion, we stayed up all night waiting for the Klan to come. They didn't come, but we got the message, you know. So struggle was always a part of who I was and a part of who Ruby was. And also it was part of the marriage, too, because yeah. we, we, you know, the, ti- the times that we live in affect you in personal ways, too. I, yeah. I preceded women's lib, and as I look back, that, that affected me a lot because there was, I had no ways, ways of thinking about what I felt was ailing me, what I felt was wrong with my being married and all that thing. You know, as once I got used to it, and I said, oh, this, 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 this thing is unfair. This is, uh, it's lopsided, you know, when it comes to, to the involvement of women and men, and so the whole thing struck me as I after we got married. So through my as I began this um, quest, this scratching, this search, and 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 honestly, being a sensitive person, thank God, we, uh, we managed to. Um, scratch our way and move our way into another level of understanding as human beings. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, but part of it, I think, Ruby, was because we knew how to struggle 
even with each other. We knew how to fight with each other. Yeah. We knew how to try and arrive at some common truth yeah. that would embrace us both. And we had some marvelous examples when we came into the business. Paul Ropes in Canada yes. League. Beautiful young lady named Lena Horn, mm-hmm. out in Hollywood, fighting you. So uh, there were examples all along the way mm-hmm. that led us into the struggle, and we found that the struggle was our mother, and it kept us so busy that we never had time to stop and ask ourselves <laughs> if we were happy. Yeah. You know, we didn't have time for that. There was too many... the, the involvements were more important than any kind of, like, disagreements. That's how it seemed to work out. We had so much to do where we had there was some common thing happening yeah. we didn't have too long to spend on our personal uh, things although we did we managed to we managed to have a few long pouts you know going <laughs> oh yeah we, we had a full personal life but you know if you sit in front of the television in 1963, and you look at what's happening in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and the dogs snapping at children, the water hose knocking people off their feet, you don't look at your wife and say, I wonder if I'm happy. You get mad as hell, you want to do something about it. You know, so the struggle catches you up in it. It's a part of who you are, and it certainly helped to keep us together and define who we were and what we had to do in this life. Struggle is the center of existence as far as we're concerned, and we intend to keep struggling until we die. How did you all happen to become the MC of the March on Washington in August 63? There was a young man organizing the march named Bayard Rustin. Mm-hmm. And when Bayard called people, no, you did, there was no, you couldn't say no. Bayard was, uh, <clears throat> first he was Dr. King's lieutenant, mm-hmm. but he had the capacity to organize uh, hundreds of thousands of people. And he, when he has a plan and a program, you know, he, he calls you and he tells you uh, how the whole thing depends on you. If, if you don't show up, you don't do what you're supposed <laughs> to do. The whole thing is going to collapse and it's going to be blamed on you. Bayard reached out to me and to Ruby and just said, we need somebody to emcee the first part of the program in the March on Washington while the people are assembling. Mm-hmm. There needs to be entertainment, and we need somebody to sort of keep it going. So, Ruby, you and Ozzy, you are selected. What was the feeling once you heard the I Have a Dream speech at the march? Well, it was, remember, it, it, it was, well, a quarter million people there, mm-hmm. and it had been a most exciting day. And believe it or not, there had been some other very exciting speeches, but that certainly was the one that topped them all. And we found ourselves, after the speech, just sort of hugging each other, crying, laughing, and just feeling an explosion of joy in the bottom of our belly. Because Martin and speak when he said, I have a dream, we knew he meant we have a dream. And we knew that we had arrived. What has been the secret of these 50 years? If we could bottle it, we could sell it. That's true. Tell them, Ruby, because I don't know. I tell you the truth. I, I um, when people first used to ask us that, especially young people in our travels, we kind of would give a flip answer. You know, is it? Well, we have managed to kill each other. Well, just do one day at a time. Well, just don't go to bed mad. We prefer about things like that. Mm-hmm. We, we did for a long time, but it occurred to us that uh, the uh, young we, they were asking serious questions. This relationship business is not easy. Right. You know, this this uh, how how to be 
be together, man, woman, wife, sexual partner, a temptation, uh, jealousy, envy, resentment. You know, all these things uh, creep, creep into our lives to one degree or another. Uh, you know, and if you're lucky in marriage, we finally concluded is a process. It's not something that you you. Do, the wedding is something you do in, in a day, but marriage is something you, you do for the rest of your life every day, you know, around some issue, some, and I just feel it's kind of a percentage game if there's, if there are more things around, around which you can agree and, and can enjoy life than, than, than those things that, for which you want to divorce, mm-hmm. then that marriage feels like it's successful. The same thing with love. I thought I was in love when I first got married, but it wasn't many years into the thing when I realized that I was feeling some things that didn't go, didn't belong with love, you know. Mm-hmm. We were going through some things that uh, we uh, questioned, questioned a lot of times, and many times us, when we have an argument, Ozzy, we wake up the next morning, and Ozzy would say, well, do you wish you'd married so-and-so? <laughs> you know, some, some question like that, and I and I get angry at the question. Or he would say, well, if you're going to quit me, uh, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> so so what, one thing that saved us in, term, in the rough times was a sense of humor, I tell you the truth. Because we, we, we always... Eventually, we found something uh, to laugh at, uh, to laugh about. You know, uh, the ridiculousness of what the things that were upsetting us, especially after they'd passed, <laughs> and uh, and the, the whole. And, and I and I would used to get angry with him because I didn't think he was a good fighter. I didn't think he he knew how to argue very well. And I think there's something about being able to argue constructively and creatively that sometimes it clears the air and and gets some understanding. Because then sometimes we'd have a fight, and the next morning, Ossie would tell me that he understood something. And eventually, he began to to feel with me about how I was feeling as a woman. And being a very smart guy, he would read up on the subject, he thought about things, and he began to reevaluate women. Me, his mother, women in general, uh, this whole uh, woman as object question, the woman as intellect, mind, uh, me as a person capable of of being of use in in, in his work, and uh, uh, useful to him as a sounding board. I'm a good collaborator, but I had to kind of fight my way into his consciousness. I had to move beyond just being a woman. I had, I mean, so, you know, this, this, this marriage business is not easy, but we're hoping that this book will give young married some, some, some idea, you know, some, because we, we, for instance, for instance, we study everything in school but relationships. Right. The most important thing we there's no compulsory course on marriage or child rearing or or anything like that that affects us. Mm-hmm. You have to learn by trial and error. And if you're lucky, you 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 hang together through the rough times and not think that every challenge is an end. Yeah, and marriage is really what you make it. You have to make what it is you want. Now, in the Hollywood entertainment industry syndrome, uh-huh. uh, a, a professional or an actor is looked on as a celebrity, as a commodity, and is taught yeah. to teach the public to worship himself or herself as an object of divine whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you begin to consider only yourself, if yourself is your only object, then all other things will begin to fall away from you. You have to learn in this business that yourself cannot be your only object. You have to say, myself and my wife and my children 
Those are the things that mean the most to me. And I don't care what fame does or celebrity does. That's where I will be going, and that's where I stake my claim. You have to be tough and say, I'm going to make this marriage work yeah. because uh, if if I lose this one, the only thing I can do is get another, which will be just like it. So I might as well make this one work. I understand. You all were with Malcolm X the a day or two days before his untimely assassination. Give us a little insight into the man. Well, uh, I think the, the last time we saw him, uh, which you as you say home? was not too long before uh, he left us, he did come to our house by himself, and just ruined me and Malcolm sat, and we just listened and let him talk. Mm -hmm. And what was very apparent was that this dedicated, very brilliant, very strong character, very spiritual man, uh, had one thing that hurt him more than anything else, and that was his estrangement from his father figure, Elijah Muhammad. Mm -hmm. He never really got over that. And uh, so all of the things that we admired him for, we knew about and the public knew about. But when he sat to talk, and he talked and talked, we could see a young man, a boy, reaching out for a father who was no longer there. And that's the in the central, central core of my memories of Malcolm. Miss D, uh, I, I I don't know I I I, I thought of um, I thought too of uh, what racism does to us. We're, we're all affected by it, and I think particularly black men, and particularly and women, too, in in other areas like women. But this um, that, that his struggle against um, against being uh, against being um, relegated to niggerdom, mm -hmm. <laughs> as Ossie talks about in the in, in the, the in the book. This thing that 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 unfortunately happens in 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 um in in our culture with with it 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 um it it seems to be like a constant problem. Is how do we reach through racism and and love each other? And then Malcolm was that 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 attempt for the manhood that Asi wrote about that reach toward that for all of us for all of us. You, you saw it all. He, he carried with it with him all the time, and yet he was had he had a beautiful vulnerability and a nice sense of humor with that crooked little smile, you know. Mm -hmm. And he, he um, but I think he he had a he 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 was thrust in a direction that was unif that was more than just himself. He was the person sitting sitting. He was, I met him through my brother Edward, but he was I mean, he transformed my brother. And uh, their families were very close. And then, uh, but he was a man who who was a, uh, he was a a public he was a personification of black men uh, in struggle. Mm -hmm. And so he couldn't have he, he his personal life didn't was second second was second. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. you know, these people who walk the earth, right. uh, who are they come here for for more than themselves. They they come here to live for a lot of people, just to, to, to be part of their, their aspiration and, and the thrust, yes. Is there a greater appreciation? I'm quite sure you love both venues, stage and film. Well, I personally prefer the stage because I'm a writer, and I find that writing for the stage 
means that you write a work that will exist on its own terms as long as printing exists. Okay. Unfortunately, the work that you do on film will not necessarily exist. Nobody goes and reads a film script, mm -hmm. and unless somebody takes care to preserve the film, uh, it could very well disappear. So for me, since I'm a writer, uh, stage is my first love. Well, I, I can't say that I have a definite preference. I like them both for different reasons. I think there's nothing like a stage for finding, hitting the walls of yourself, you know, finding out what you're all about, trotting the tracks, opening the pathways, and, and you do it over and over every night on stage. So there's a chance for growth and self-examination um, uh, and, and use of yourself over and over and over that makes it easier to get to from one point to another. There's this, this practice. It's like going through the path in an uncleared forest. The more you tra tread it, the, 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 the smoother and more definite it gets. That's what I think the theater does. It, it explores the bigness of you and the wideness and the deepness of you, of yourself, uh, that, and, and, and helps you to become a better actor on film where you're looking, where, where the camera seems to photograph thoughts and emotions and ideas and, you know, the subtleties uh, where the camera can get, get there greater, I think, than, than on stage. But, they, but, they, but, they, but I think it, you grow more in, on stage than you do in film, although there are film actors who master that technique and are just as efficient there as... But I mean, to span them both, mm -hmm. I think a stage, a stage work is a necessary part of the training process, you know. Have you all adopted Spike Lee? Uh, Not officially, but we're working on it. He's adopted us, I think. <laughs> How <laughs> I did don't, you? I know yeah. me. I, I know. I have. I feel. Uh, oh, I, I think with with Spike kind of uh, uh, brought me into a, a new to, to the attention of a new new generation or mm -hmm. something, you know. And also through our son, who, and also uh, I think Spike taught a lot of people in the business. He had he, something about integrity and. I like the way he did the film. The Delta, the Delta Sigma Theta did it first, mm -hmm. but he just he he made a film by by the bootstrap, you know. He just did it, and that's what the Deltas did with that film we made, Countdown Cusini. And he gave credit to all the people who helped him. And he took five dollars and five hundred and a thousand. And my son happened to be our son happened to be one of the investors. So I love Spike for that. He brought people into the union where it was the union, you know, was not known for being. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of it has a lot to do in terms of uh, racism. And Spike did uh, worked on that front too. Everybody worked for Spike. You know, men, women, black, white, Asians, the the, the uh, physically challenged, all, all those. I mean, Spike is a, he's a conscientious young man, growing philosophically, and so I mean, I'm, I'm, he's the most exciting uh, person in that realm. Uh, that that I've known, you know. You all have worked in virtually all the media, radio, television, film, stage. Any new projects on the horizon? <laughs> well, Ruby has a couple of films in the can. Yeah. Uh, 
the passing, what, the passing game? The, the passing glory, yes, and mm. where, where, where Quincy Jones was one of the producers, and David Salzman and Mike Magic, Magic Johnson. Johnson. Mm. And uh, just did the, it's, a, it's a basketball film with Andrew Brower. And the next one is The Baby Geniuses. You know, well, that one is before then, really, The Baby Geniuses. That's coming out with Dom DeLuise. That was fun for me because I, I love doing those kind of kind of. Okay, oh, could I get one in there? Yes. Uh -huh. All right, and I did one with <laughs> Della Reese called The Secret Path, which has yet to show up. Meanwhile, we have other projects that oh, we're busy God, working on. The late Ossie Davis and Ruby D. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to your future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, One University Station, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, One University Station, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.